this is in part to do with uh, the message. Glenn asked me a couple of weeks ago, he's doing a series on faithfulness, and um, he said he'd like some people of the congregation to share how God has been faithful to them and some experiences. And um, he asked me to do that. And at first I said, no, I'm not quite sure I want to do that. So I delayed it for a week. <laughs> um, but then after the sermon last week, and I've been thinking about it, I thought, well, maybe I can share something. And um, as John just shared, Joyce and I have been married for 37 years. And with 37 years, maybe uh, there is some things I can share that God's been faithful to us. Um, part of the 37th wedding anniversary we were able to uh, celebrate that by going to the RTC opening we were shouted out to dinner <laughs> so I, I saved, my, saved my pennies and <laughs> didn't have to take her out it was done for me but it was a good day and uh, I think the RTC can also attest to God's faithfulness in being with them and we've been blessed to have Ben with us for uh, two and a half months while he's been doing the renovations for the college and he goes home tonight so um, but yeah after 37 years is there something I can share being faithful I can attest to the fact that yes in a marriage Joyce and I have been faithful to each other for 37 years um, for better for worse for richer for poorer in sickness and in health you know how the phases go and we've had each of those We've had our ups and downs. Yes, we've been blessed. We have three wonderful kids. And I was going to say they're all here in church today, but Ben's the only one here. <laughs> Although Michelle's at the back in crèche. So, but Luke and Fee, for, I'm not quite sure why they're not here today. Um, but it is a, it's a real blessing to us that they are Christians. They trust the Lord. They're blessed to have Christian partners. And we're blessed to have uh, five wonderful grandchildren so far. We live in what I consider to be a beautiful house. A, uh, we have all the mod cons. Some have more, but others, we're, we're very blessed with what we have. And as Glenn said last week, we live in the uh, richest 5% of the world. I've got a good job, which I enjoy. I quite enjoy going to work every morning. But we've also come through some difficult moments. Um, and significantly, my, wife, my eye injury in 1988, where I almost lost my eye. Um, but miraculously, uh, I can still see you almost perfectly. My knee injury after a 50k walk, and I was supposed to have a knee operation to have that fixed, but the doctor went on holidays, then I went on holidays, and by the time I came back from holidays, my knee was healed and I haven't had to have the operation as yet, and I hope I don't. I've been retrenched from my work a couple of times, but each time I've been able to, God's led me into a new position almost immediately. And there's been numerous other incidents which have shown that God is looking after me. So God has certainly blessed me. But then I asked the question, are these blessings related to God's faithfulness to me? And for me, the answer is no. That's not God's faithfulness. These blessings may be evidence of God's gracious kindness to me, but not necessarily his faithfulness. Because I believe that if, even if I hadn't had these blessings, if I hadn't experienced all this, God would still be faithful. I know there's others here who haven't experienced those blessings, who haven't had the same opportunities, and yet 
they've, um, they still trust God and God is still there for them. I read a quote this week um, and it says this, I woke up, I have clothes to wear, I have running water, I have food to eat, life is good, God is great, I'm thankful. But I believe he could also say, I woke up, I have no clothes to wear, I don't have running water, I don't have food to eat, life is not so good, God is great, I'm thankful. I remember, um, sorry, being faithful, as we heard last week, means that God won't give up on us. He won't cheat on us and leave us, as unfortunately some husbands and wives are want to do. But God has promised, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And I was, gave a testimony a few couple of years ago and I said my favourite verses are Romans 8 to 38 to 39. And I, was, I still are. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels or rulers, neither things present or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And when I was thinking about this, a hymn that, one of my favourite hymns from many years ago, um, said this, I know not why God's wondrous grace to me he has made known, nor why, unworthy, Christ in love redeemed me for his own. But, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. That is God's faithfulness. Thank you. And now I'm also asked to... Uh, I'm also going to read the Bible for us this morning. And the reading this morning comes from Genesis chapter 15. <clears throat> this is God's covenant with Abram. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continued childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven. And number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. 
As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham. And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I will give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for your testimony and for your reading of the word. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you here again this morning. If you're visiting with us, welcome. My name's Glenn Decker. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I have the privilege again of uh, opening God's Word and uh, preaching from it this morning. And uh, before I do that, uh, I'd like to just to pray and ask that God would speak to us in this time. So let's pray. Lord and God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that it is living and active. And Lord, as we uh, ponder this passage and now as I uh, preach on it, we ask Holy Spirit, that you would make these words come alive in our hearts and our minds, that you would speak to us and reveal uh, to us uh, the things that you would have us know this morning. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, so last week we began uh, a series which uh, we're calling uh, Faithful to the Promise, and we're going to be uh, following the journey through um, the back half of Genesis uh, 12 to 50, and we're going to be following through uh, the life stories of Abraham and uh, Isaac and Jacob and uh, Joseph as well. And we saw last week that God uh, calls these people into his plan for the salvation of his people. So God, um, from the beginning, back in Genesis, when sin entered the world, God promised that there was going to be someone that would come that would uh, save the world, that would be a blessing to the nations. Uh, and this promise to Abram uh, uh, is that there were great people of God would be built up and a nation would come, and one would come from that nation who would uh, save uh, the world. And we know as we go right through the Bible is how that uh, pans out as Jesus comes from uh, the nation of Israel and he comes uh, as a king to fulfill God's promise uh, to save uh, his people. We discovered uh, that God is ever faithful to that promise. He's ever faithful to the promises he makes, um, even though his people are not. And even though uh, they make decisions that, are, uh, that break that promise or break that agreement with him, uh, and at some times we recognise that 
um, even in that journey of following God and being part of His plan, is that it is quite uncertain and it's quite messy. And often we don't know what God is up to. And we're trying to work out decisions to follow His will. And often we don't know whether they're the right decisions or the wrong decisions. Just as we saw Abraham going down uh, to, to Egypt last week, we saw that there are definitely decisions that he made that were wrong when he started to lie about his wife. And, uh, uh, and, and it's interesting even what happens in that. So even in his lie and his sin and deceit, God uses that to bring about uh, Abram back onto his path and to actually bless him in that. And that we realize that God's faithfulness to his plan and his promises are not dependent on how um, good or not his people are. And as we read right through the Bible and as we know in our lives, God's uh, faithfulness to his promise are not dependent on how well we obey him. Yes, he wants us to obey him and he's glorified in our obedience. But his faithfulness to his promise is dependent on him being the creator of the universe, choosing to love people and to save them and want them to be with him forever. And as we saw a little bit last week, what was Abram's response uh, to that? Uh, a number of times in that journey, he builds an altar. He stops and he uh, builds this altar uh, and this was sort of an act of worship. Um, he probably would have put some sacrifices on it as well. It was a place where he called out to God. It was a place where he stopped and he said, Yes, you are God. And you are the one who called uh, me into your plan. And I am your child. I am your son. And uh, you are going to be the one that leads me and guides me through this. He responds in trust and faith and worship um, as he uh, seeks to uh, keep in step with God's promise. And God's promise to Abraham was to make uh, a nation, a people of God, that would be a blessing to uh, the nations of the world. And um, God was working his way, through, or continued to work through that, even though um, unexpected things came his way, even though things uh, of evil came against him, uh, things that were unexplainable like uh, famines and uh, things like that and even his own uh, unfaithfulness God continued to see that happen and as we talked last week we said God uh, not only gave uh, promises to Abram he gave them to us and he gave them to the New Testament church and he said to the New Testament church us he said I am going to build my church and the gates of hell won't stand against it so even your sinfulness, your goodness, or your badness won't stand against this fact that I am going to build my church and I am faithful to that promise. And he said, I'm also going to promise that I will give you my spirit that will come and live in you and empower you to do this. And I will gift you and I will make my fruit bear in your life so that this promise can continue. And last week, we sort of ended uh, with this idea, if, if that is true, if this is true, that if, if this story that we're reading and engaging with is true, that there is a creator of the universe that's working out a plan to save his people for an eternal future, um, 
if that is true, and it doesn't depend necessarily on um, our faithfulness to us, but it depends on his faithfulness to us, if that is true, no matter what circumstance that I find myself in, whether it's really joyful and great or whether it's um, desperate and you're in despair, then we can trust that there is a God who is faithful to that promise, that he promised that he will be with us in that circumstance and that he is using that circumstance to have his plan to save the world done through you and me because he chose us as his image bearers to display his plan of salvation to the world. And so no matter what our circumstances, and Jim sort of alluded to them a little bit in in some of his testimony, didn't he? In the highs and lows of life, God is faithful. And his faithfulness is not dependent on how you react in those situations. His faithfulness comes because he is a faithful God and all he calls us to do is to believe who he says he is. So we want to continue uh, this journey. We're going to go into um, Genesis chapter 15 today as we continue to look at um, the Abram story. And so uh, in this story, uh, it starts off, I think I ended off in this, uh, these verses last week, where God promises to Abram that I'll be your shield and your great reward. And uh, it's interesting to note, isn't it? What's Abram's response? It's this. Yeah, but, yeah, but uh, God, you, you, you are this, but I don't have any kids. Uh, and even already, you sort of see some doubt start to uh, come into Abram's life. He says, what, what good are those promises if I don't have kids? And God uh, again reminds him. God makes a continuation of that promise. He says, this man, Eliezer, your servant, he's not going to be your heir. And he takes uh, Abram outside and he gets him to look up into the stars of the sky. And he says, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. Last week it was the dust on the ground. Next week it's the sand on 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 the beach. He says, that's going to be how numerous your ancestors are. Trust me in this. And what's, re- what's Abram's response this time? What's Abram's response this time? Abram believed that. And it was credit to him as righteousness. So already, even just in these few verses, you're getting the ups and downs of the journey of faith, of doubt and faith responding in the, in the circumstances and as we engage with God's uh, words to us. And it's interesting, this amazing faith. Uh, I, I thought it's, it's a bit like the altar. He builds the altar. And as, he build, as he's building that altar, he's saying, this is real. It is real that you are the God of the universe. You are over all, through all, and in all. And you've called me to be part of your plan. And you are going to be faithful to your promise. I believe it. I believe it's true. And it's interesting because... The promise again, or um, what, what happens there is that God then credits him righteousness. It's not Abraham's response that makes him right with God. It's not, uh, it's not even you know, the fact that he built the altar or he worshipped. It's faith. 
It's he believed it. He believed that there was this God and that God was working his plan. And then God says, now you are right with me. You are right with me. And God will be, make a way uh, possible for him to be right with him. It was not his obedience. It was not his behavior that made him right with God. It was not how he responded in the ups and downs of his life. It was the fact that he actually just clung to the fact that there is a God who is working out his plan and is with him in that circumstance. And there's this theme that goes through these chapters and through the Bible and there's this theme that the sense of the Lord was with him. And if you think about some of the other guys that we're going to go through, in, you know, Isaac, Joseph, Jacob, is this theme that the Lord was with him, no matter what circumstance they fit. And that's what he could depend on. It wasn't dependent on the circumstance or situation there. All he had to do was cling to a faith and a trust that this was true and that God was working out his plan. And he asks us to do the same. He asks us to align our lives to the reality that God is with us in those circumstances. So whether we're on top of the world and we're having the best week or year that we've ever had, we're just reminded again that there's a creator of the universe who's provided that to happen. As Jim alluded to, he's the one that's orchestrated that we've been born here, that gives us a work and gives and takes and all of that. Or on the other side, that we're in the pit and things are happening and circumstances have occurred that are um, well beyond our control and it's painful and it's hard and there's suffering. <laughs> we're reminded that the God of the universe is there with you in it. He's promised that he will never leave you or forsake you and that he will carry you through and give you the strength even when you think that you haven't got enough energy even just to lift a foot for the next step. And as we align ourselves to that reality, we remind ourselves of that truth, it actually starts to change the way we feel. So if we're on top of the world, it actually makes us be humble. and actually says, actually, it's God that's provided. It's not me. It's not what I've done. It's God that's orchestrated. And it actually humbles me to a reality. And when I'm down in the pit, it actually gives me hope. <laughs> it says there's a God of the universe that's with me in this that can actually change the situation or get me through it. And it starts to change the way we live and respond in those circumstances because we know that there is a God who is faithful to his promise. And as we continue through this passage, as we go into uh, verse 7, uh, there's another promise that God gives to Abraham. Uh, he takes him and he says... Um, I'm not just going to give you ancestors that number the stars in the skies. I'm actually going to give you uh, a land where they're going to live. And again, what's uh, Abraham's response straight after? That, that it's two verses later. What's his response now? Uh, yeah, but how do I know? How do I know that you're going to do that? <laughs> And again, we get this up and down of faith, isn't it? A journey of, of faith with, with Abraham in this.
think we know, if you've been on a faith journey for a while, that uh, faith and doubt come and ebb and flow in your life. Uh, there's this line that I like to use that doubt actually becomes the seedbed of faith. Doubt is actually what drives us back to faith as we wrestle with the reality of that. I, I often have reminded you many times, remember the, 12, uh, the 11 apostles as they watched Jesus ascend to heaven? What's the little subline there? And yet some still doubted. Doubt and faith mixed together in the reality of our lives. I think God, God's faithfulness calls us that when we doubt, he, says, call, he calls us back to faith. Believe that big story is true and that God is with you in it and will get you through it or change it. And so we too, in our situations, whether on top of the world or the bottom, uh, a prayer that comes uh, through the Bible a number of times from God's people is, God, help me with my unbelief. Help me in my unbelief. Because I believe that you know, if I'm on top of the world, that everything's sort of, that I'm in control of, or if I'm above the world, I just feel there's no hope. Help me in my unbelief with that and get me back into the reality of your faithful promises and my call to follow you in it. And we're reminded... We're reminded in the New Testament isn't it, that it only takes faith the size of a mustard seed. We don't, it's, just, it's almost just that little, almost like I just can't believe it, but I cling to this idea that there is a God who is over all through all. I, I cling to this idea of Je the fact that Jesus was who he said he was and that he died in my place. So that, that I cling to that idea that there is a heavenly reality set aside for me that I have hope for in the future. And so, when Abram comes to God with this, yeah, but how can I know? The rest of the chapter, basically, God comes and says, look, I'll show you how you can know. And it's a bit of a weird chapter. I don't know if you picked up that chapter as uh, Jim was reading. It's a bit strange. There's... Uh, Cutting up, uh, so he, it's interesting because uh, what happens is uh, he Abram he asks Abram to bring those animals, and um, it's a bit strange. And I, I put up um, a sermon this week on uh, I think it was on the Facebook discussion page from Tim Keller, and Tim Keller preaches a great sermon on this, and I borrowed much of my sermon on here uh, from here uh, on this. Um, have a listen to it. It's on the, the Facebook page or I might send out another link this week. And he just explains this in a way that uh, makes sense in the context of the rest of it. What is all this about? Cutting up animals and torches and fires and all this sort of stuff. Um, and so it's interesting because Abram comes and he knows what to do. You know, that God didn't tell him what to do. So he brings the animals and he just cuts them up and, and spreads them out. And so Abram actually knew what he was doing. And what he's actually doing is entering into uh, a covenant agreement. And so back in the ancient Near East, what they used to do when they made covenants, and the other word for covenant is promise, when they made promises to each other, uh, often what they would do is they would take animals and they would cut them up and put them in half. And then uh, as the promise was agreed, uh, you would walk between the dead animals and there was a sense that you were saying, unless I fulfilled my promise, unless I keep my promise, then may I be like these dead animals. 
So I'm, I'm promising with my life. And often what happened uh, in the ancient Near East, usually this sort of was enacted with um, kings or people in power and authority. So the person, the king, uh, who had the power and authority, uh, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't be the one that walked through the dead animals. He would be the other people, his, you know, people that were lower down or other, they would be the ones that would have to walk through the animals and say, uh, if I don't keep my side of the, may I be like this. And so that's sort of the context of what's happening here. There's a, a covenant agreement or a peace, uh, a promise agreement that is uh, being made uh, here. And so as Abram's, he, he sets it all up, Abram's now waiting and he's waiting patiently and nothing sort of seems uh, to happen uh, there. And then, uh, this is what Tim Keller says, this is where we get an amazing picture of the gospel in the Old Testament. So the good news. So what happens is the torch and the fire that go through the middle of these dead animals is representative of God. And so the words that are used for smoke, sorry, the, the, the smoke pot and the, um, and, the to- and the fire, they're the same words that are used to describe God when he comes on Mount Sinai and there was fire and smoke. They're the same u- words that are used when God went before the Israelites either in a cloud of smoke or a cloud of fire. There re- so what happens here as this promise is made, Abraham doesn't go through it. God goes through it. Abraham was sitting there waiting, expecting for him to go through it. But he says, no. God says, no, I'm faithful to the promise. And here's the thing, I'll be faithful to the promise even if you're not. And here's what God, the extent that God goes to is, he says to Abraham, he says, if you don't keep this promise, may I be like these dead animals. Amazing picture of God's grace and faithfulness to his promise. And he says, this is how you can know for certain. And then what happens, as, uh, or, or just before that happened, wasn't it? There was a great darkness that came over Abram. And on that day, and in that situation, God made a promise, promise to Abram that his descendants would take this land. And many of you might already be getting the link here. The symbolism of of something that's going to happen in the future. Because when we head into the New Testament, we see the outcome of this. As we see God come to earth and be faithful to his promise and not just walk with his people and not just walk through the sacrifice, But God came to earth and he became the sacrifice. And so for all of God's people who were not faithful to that promise and grieving, God walks through that and God now fulfills his promise. And he dies on the cross. Think of the similar language of as Jesus was hanging on the cross. The darkness came over the land. And as Jesus, I think how how it, it... was shown that he was dead and he died, that a soldier pierced his side and a a sudden flow of water and blood came out. And God remembers the faithfulness to his promise back to Abram. 
and that this promise of God's faithfulness to us is not just for Abram, but it's also for us as his followers. If we go to the next slide. And we remember where this ended up, that while it was still dark, they went to the tomb. And they encountered the angels and there was a glowing light that appeared in this darkness. And they said to the ladies, why do you look for the living amongst the dead? He has risen. And so this morning, we're going to celebrate this supper. We're going to celebrate God's faithfulness to his people. The faithfulness that he is continuing to build his church. Despite our, faith, our, um, our ability to be able to keep our side or not. And so we remember that it was Jesus' body that was broken... So that we would be right with God. So that righteousness would be credited to us. We're reminded that it was Jesus' blood that flowed for us. So the punishment that should have been us on, on us was on him. So that we can be right with God. And as Jesus took this cup and he offered it to his disciples, can you remember the language he used? He said, now this is blood of a new covenant. There's a new promise. And the new promise is that I'm now going to build my church. I'm going back to the Father. And I'm going to build my church and my spirit is going to come upon my church. And my church now is going to be empowered to fulfill my promise of reaching the ends of the earth with the hope that comes from a God who is faithful to his promise. We remember as we celebrate this supper, this covenant, or this cup of a new covenant, We remember other promises that God made to his people. I intentionally lifted it, left this out. If you go back and you have a look at Genesis 15, verse 13, Jesus, uh, God says to Abraham, know for certain. This is how you know for certain. But what does he know? If you ever read through there, he says, this is what I want you to know. You're, I'm going to build my, peop my people but they're going to suffer. And it's going to be really hard. They're actually going to become slaves for 400 years. And it's actually going to be tough for them to follow me. But remember, even in that, that I'm going to be faithful to my promise. And remember what Jesus says to his disciples as he, as he breaks his supper and he says, there's another promise I'm going to give you. In this world, you're going to have lots of trouble. In this world... The world is going to hate you because of me. There's suffering and pain that's going to come your way as you seek to follow the call that I have for you. 
And he says, but remember <laughs> my faithful covenant promise that I am building my people and that I will be with you in it. And I will even use that to display my glory and my hope and my purpose and my power in this world. And so as we take this supper again this morning, we're remembered, we remember that new covenant. That we now are the people of God and the gates of hell can't stand against us. That we become the living temple, the, li- the, the place where God now dwells. His presence is with us and his power, he says the power that raised Christ from the dead is now within us as his people as you seek to live in those realities of the brokenness of this world and the messed upness of the world. So that you can do what Todd said in his call to worship. What did Todd say? He said, fear not, because I have overcome the world. And so we can enter into this world, even though it's so messy and broke, that we know that God's at work, even through this mess and the uncertainty of what's going on. And that he is a faithful God, that if I believe in him, (laughs) that I'll be with him forever. So this morning, I'm going to ask you to come and uh, as Abraham built that altar and responded in worship, I'm going to ask that you would do that this morning, that this supper would be a response of worship, a response of thanks, a response of faith this morning, that you would come and you would participate in this supper as a way of saying, God, I believe. I believe you for who you are. I believe that you are faithful to your promise and that you are working that out in and through our lives. So um, as you come and you walk around and you walk back up through the aisle, I want you to remember that picture that we just got, that God walked through those dead bodies. God walked through the crucifixion for you and for me so that as we participate in this supper, we're reminded that our sins are totally taken away and that a righteousness is credited to us so that we can live with him forever. Let me pray. So Lord, now as we come and celebrate this supper, we ask that you would remind us again of who you are and who we are because of you. Holy Spirit, will you interact with us as we physically engage in eating and drinking and walking up here? I ask that you would interact with us in a spiritual way where we will be confirmed uh, and assured and uh, reaffirmed that you are who you say you are, a God who is faithful to his promise, a God that will never leave us nor forsake us, a God who uh, has made a way possible for us to be right with you. And so, Lord, will you come upon us and freshen us again. May we have a new sense of your peace and joy and hope and love as we participate in this supper now. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, I'm just going to ask the guys from uh, leadership to come down and help out. I've got to ask Pete as well and Joel and myself. Um, I'm going to ask if you sort of start coming from the back, grab some, um, some juice and some bread and just hold them in your hands until you sit down again and then we'll uh, eat them together. So come as a sign of faith and as a response of faith and a response of belief to participate in this supper now.
that's going to change the way we enter this week. It's going to change the way we approach people around us, the way we do our work, the way we interact as family. This is what it says in Hebrews 6 about Abraham and about this situation that we've just experienced. For, God, for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater than to swear by, he swore by himself. That's God walking through this, God taking the sacrifice for us, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So the two unchangeable things, which is uh, impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have this, that we might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us that we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of our souls, a hope that enters to the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. So you go into this week with a reminder of the hope, and it's like an anchor. And what does an anchor do? It holds you steady in the storms of life. It holds you steady in whatever comes your way. And it actually allows you to enjoy the life on that boat or be sure in the life in that boat. And may you take into your week the fact that Jesus died on your behalf, that Jesus went to the cross on your behalf. Take that into a living hope and that your response this week may be faith and service to this King and honour to this king that was willing to do this for us. He doesn't promise that it's always going to feel good. But he has promised that he'll be with us in the midst of it, and he has promised freedom and hope and joy and love in that situation. And I pray that you may experience that this week as you cling to your Saviour, as you cling to your faithful Father who is uh, forever faithful to his promise. I'm going to ask our uh, youth band back up and they're going to uh, lead us in a song. And I again ask that this would be your response. Like Abram built that altar and he worshipped God on it, that this song would be... Uh, your response to the fact that God is faithful to us. It's a song that's called I Believe or it's the Creed. And again, it's reminding us of the truth of who God is and the truth of who we are because of him. May this be uh, a response of faith and worship to a God who is ever faithful.